welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk about curiosity, fascination, and what makes us delightfully nerdy. I am your nerd host for the day, Joy Bork. This season is focused around the theme of your flavor of nerd, or Y-F-O-N, as I abbreviated it in the episode title. Today, we are diving headfirst into the world of role-playing games, also known as RPG. Over the years, I have heard a lot of varying opinions on these types of games and haven't had much opportunity to really get to understand what they are, how to play, and what they represent. Thankfully, I'm friends with a delightful nerd who is super excited to tell me all of the things. So, without further ado, here we are, Season 3, Episode 3, Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Nathan. I live in Nebraska, and I am a huge tabletop RPG, specifically Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Oh, man. There's so much I need to know about this. Is this the flavor of nerd we're talking about? Dungeons and Dragons? We're going to talk about rolling dice and beating up monsters. Okay. Okay. So my awareness of Dungeons and Dragons was growing up, it was the worst thing you could ever do because it led right to hell. But like at one of my jobs, I had an employee who played Dungeons and Dragons and he explained it to me. And it's it's basically a choose your own adventure that you're playing with a lot of your friends. Absolutely. So what what do muggles need to know about Dungeons and Dragons? So the, the best way that I've thought to describe it and have had people describe it to me as, if you growing up had friends that you would go run with through the fields and run in the forest and you would play pretend, I don't know what people in, in the United States play pretend, but back in Europe, we would grab sticks, beat each other up with sticks, make bows, and just have adventure together after school. Dungeons and Dragons is the adult way to have that adventure when our knees are aching and our elbows hurt. <laughs> we just want to sit at a table and eat pizza. That's our way to do and have those same intense emotions. You're having an adventure with your friends. You create strong bonds with people and you do it all from, you know, the comfort of your home or whatever space you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. How does the game structure? Do you just make it all up? So different tabletop role-playing games will have different structures. So my conversation will be specifically related to Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Okay. And there's so many different flavors of tabletop RPG and then at least five different flavors of Dungeons and Dragons specifically. But the, the main idea of most of those games is that is that there is a game master or a dungeon master, copyright protected by Wizards of the Coast. And the dungeon master, game master, will create an environment, create a world, and the players will then become characters in that world and they will interact with a quest or a mission, a storyline created by the game master slash dungeon master. And so you can play it theater of the mind where there is no visual elements other than conversation with your partners at the table. Or you can have miniature figurines, you can have printed works of art for the characters, you can have maps. Some people will go so far as to purchase and build their own maps, so physical maps. There is a company called Dwarven Forge that will create many villages and many caves 
that you can take your adventures through. There is interaction with rolling dice. So there's an element of chance to everything that we do. As a dungeon master, I may ask a player to roll a dice to figure out if their character manages to pick the lock mm. that they are trying to get through. So I will mentally set a difficulty check and the players will roll their dice, add up whatever modifiers or bonuses they might have. And then from there, I will let them know if they succeeded at opening the door or maybe they succeed, but it takes them a really long time. Or maybe they broke mm. their lock inside the door the keyhole and so they'll have to either break the door or find a different solution around so there's an interactive element between me as a game master and them as the players in trying to craft this story together and it's not a normal dice right so there are a multitude of different shaped dice with the most frequent use being 20 sided the d20 then you've got a d12 you've got two 10-sided dice, one that has a 10s unit and one that has the 1s unit so that you can roll up to 100. Those are the percentile dice. There's an 8-sided die too that's kind of like a soccer ball almost. There is a 6-sided die, which is the common die that everybody knows. And then there is a 4-sided die, which is a pyramid-shaped die. Would you play with all of those or do you just pick one? So different dice have different purposes in the game. The most commonly used one is the 20-sided that's used for most of the skill checks. Do you succeed at something? And then different characters have different reasons to use smaller or bigger dice, depending on specific abilities, damage range. And there's an attempt at balancing different characters' abilities and giving them different dice if we want an ability to be slightly more powerful or slightly less powerful. So every dice has a purpose, but not everybody needs to use the dice that they have. That's fascinating. Okay, when did you get started with D&D? So I got started in 2004, I think. I was probably around 12 years old, maybe. And I actually started not on Dungeons & Dragons, but the Star Wars version of a tabletop role-playing game. I was in a Southeast Asian country where there wasn't a ton of other kids that I could play with. So going over to a friend's house, they actually introduced us to tabletop role-playing and we started playing in a Star Wars universe, which at that time, my big nerdum was Star Wars. And so we played role-playing games on tabletop with Star Wars based. And then coming to the United States, met some friends here in Omaha who really wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. And since I had experience playing tabletop, I decided, yes, let's do it. Played with a friend and he ended up not being able to game master for us anymore. And I said, I'll do it, I'll game master. And so now I have two groups that I dungeon master and we're reaching session 33 on one group. And then on the other group, we're reaching session, I believe 14. How long is a session? So it varies depending on availability of the schedule and different people will have different preferences. My players prefer to try to give ourselves five hours because we only meet once a month. Wow. Our current record is an 18-hour session, I believe, wow. where we just met up first thing in the morning. So we met at 8 a.m. and we did not stop playing until midnight or one. And we just kept going. And it, it, it sounds like a lot, but when you're having fun, when you're telling a story and when emotions are running high and hot, time goes by quickly. And so this was a particularly intense moment because it was a story art conclusion. 
it was a moment where the characters were coming to a resolution of something that they've been hunting after for a really long time. That's fantastic. What do you need to know to level up from just playing to being a master? The biggest thing to know is that you don't have to know anything. You have to just want to learn and want to play the game. There's no such thing as I'm ready enough to become a dungeon master. There is a big lack of dungeon masters out there. There is a need for more dungeon masters because there's less people willing to take the risk of becoming a dungeon master than there are people who are wanting to play. It is quite a bit of responsibility. It is quite a bit of pre-work prior to the game starting. But if a mogul wanted to become a game master, I say, go for it. There are a million and one resources out there. Don't be afraid to steal a storyline from a favorite TV show. Don't be afraid to look up tools and find other things that people have done. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Do not work in a vacuum. There are plenty of friends online who have 30 plus years of experience. And don't compare yourself. Your flavor of D&D will be your flavor, and it's going to be different than the big names out there. Just in how you said that added a whole lot of scope to what you're talking about. Because when I've heard about D&D, it's only been like certain tiny pockets of my flavor of nerd friends that like that, which isn't a whole lot. But what you just said exploded that and was like, oh, no, 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 this is a big, big deal. Yeah. So for the longest time, D&D was a very, not hush-hush, but a very specific and niche hobby. But recently, there's been two things that have really exploded the D&D community. There's been Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. I believe Stranger Things takes place in the 80s or something like that, which is when Satanic Panic kind of hit. But a mm -hmm. couple, couple of the kids on there are playing Dungeons and & Dragons and some of the monsters, spoiler alert, some of the monsters from Stranger Things are inspired off of Dungeons & Dragons monsters. So you've got that connection there. And then there is a group of voice actors who get together and play Dungeons & Dragons every Thursday night. And they, a critical role has been the explosion of, or the leading factor of the explosions of Dungeons & Dragons. So it's a group of seven voice actors from California who are led by a game master, dungeon master, Matthew Mercer. They're friends in real life, and they were invited to stream their game on Twitch. They figured, nobody's going to like this, but we're going to do it for, <laughs> for a year, and we'll see what happens. And I think we're five or six years down the road now. Wow. We are a little, a little bit over 250 episodes, almost 300 episodes, I think. At each episode being at least four hours long. Holy crap. Of storyline and talk about just emotions, raw emotions. I've sat at work listening to Dungeons and Dragons critical role episodes specifically in tears, unable to work because of just a raw emotions in the moment that these guys are taking us through. Everything is improv. Nothing is scripted. Matt just kind of creates the world and lets them live in it. And that was the big factor that blew everything out of the water. Wow. What is one of your pinnacle moments you've had while playing d and I'm so glad you asked. My favorite thing I've ever done as a dungeon master. The group that I've been playing, I'm about to hit session 33 with. The first thing that I had them do was a hunt for a serial killer. And so they knew that 
On this continent, there's a serial killer that has some sort of magical way to transport himself from one city to the next. And every week for the past three years, he goes to an, a city, one of the four cities that are kind of create his cross pattern across the continent. And he kills one random person that he finds to be an undesirable, forgotten, unknown person in that city. And so their task was to try to go find and arrest or kill or stop this person. We were playing for a while where they were hunting after him. They were always one step behind. They had a couple close encounters and it really showed them how much more powerful than them he was. And he thought them beneath him. So he let them live, just said, hey, I don't want to kill you. I've got a very specific pattern, almost in a neurotical way. Mm-hmm. He, he was a very driven man. And what none of my players realized is that at the time I had four players and the serial killer was being played by a fifth player. They had no clue. And so every session when they would take a decision, when they would make something happen that would impact the serial killer in his goals, I would then text the fifth player who would respond and let me know how his character responds. What? Long story short, he was using necromancy and experimenting. He considered himself a scientist and he was trying to test and find ways to bring his wife back from the dead. And so he would, that's what he was doing. He would kill people, experiment to try to bring them back. And so what I did is on the last day of the confrontation, we build up, we build up, we build up to the confrontation. And I say, we're going to end the session early today. Everybody was kind of in uproar. It's like, no, we can't end early. We're right there. So it's like, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to stop right here. We're going to end. And the next time we meet in a month will be the big finale, big confrontation. And so what I did then is I called my brother who was playing the serial killer and scheduled for him to come into town because he was out in, in a different city, flew him in day of so that <laughs> on the big day of the confrontation, my players come in, they sit at the table, everything's normal, everything's casual. They're feeling super confident we're going to take him down. We're the heroes and all that. We play for about an hour and they finally get to the lair and they finally get to the confrontation moment, the big reveal moment. They finally got him cornered in his lab. So he can't go anywhere because his wife is there and he's got to stay to protect his wife from them. And so I pause the game and I'm like, I need to take a quick break, guys. I'll be right back. And so they're very confused. They're wondering what the heck, why is he leaving (laughs) alone with maps and everything? And I grabbed my brother who was waiting in a different room. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's time. And so my brother comes out and now their enemy is right there in the flesh in front of them. So this whole time, normally they'll plan and they'll talk to each other and they'll try to scheme while they're sitting across the table from me because they can trust me to, you know, try to play it fair and play like the bad guys don't know what they're scheming. But now they've got the actual bad guy in the room with them like it is in the actual fight. They're fighting in front of the bad guy. So anything they say to each other, he can hear. So my my brother sat there and the the tension in the room spiked. They saw me walk in with him and they were very confused. They were like, what is going on? And so I asked them to please make room for him at the table, scoot them all onto one side, move them out of the way. And they were just, what the heck? You're bringing a fifth, like what? And then I explained the whole scenario. I told them, this is the fifth player. He's been playing as Soren, the serial killer, this entire time. Every decision you've made, I've texted him. He has made a counter decision, a reaction to what you are deciding. This is the big fight. 
let's roll initiative, which is this, the phrase that I say for like, this is the fight. And that was it. That was all the introduction they got. The table went dead quiet. You, I could just see the sheer panic of like, our enemy is right here in the room and we can no longer plan. The, everything went out the window. They just were nervous as heck. And that probably is my biggest stroke of genius so far in DND. Just putting an enemy physically in the room changed the whole dynamic. That is phenomenal. Wow. I am so intrigued now. Wow. Okay. What do you wish people knew or what do they normally get wrong about D&D? Final question. Oh, man. D&D is a game for everyone. You don't have to be a specific kind of person to play Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop RPG. You don't have to be a nerd. You don't have to be good at math or anything like that. It's open to anyone who's willing to have an adventure and try to tell a story with their friends. If you're willing to put yourself out there, risk a little bit of embarrassment when you try to tell a story, it is well worth the effort of finding a group of friends, scheduling something, and opening yourself up to the possibilities that is Dungeons & Dragons. Nathan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your nerd with me. Yep, it, I, I could keep on talking for hours about Dungeons and Dragons. It's one of my favorite things. That's so amazing. Okay, okay. I'm open to trying it now. Awesome. So here we are. I was in awe by the end of this episode. I had built up Dungeons and Dragons to be this thing in my head that it isn't which made diving into this topic so much more fascinating. One thing I've learned lately is that being open to new things is crucial, especially if I have an opinion on the topic that I don't actually have much information to back it up with. Approaching this conversation with Nathan through the lens of curiosity and storytelling was literally just the perfect thing. This was so fun. Today's episode is made possible by so many of my people. Thanks to Lisa for the logo, to Katie for season three's concept clarity, and to Nathan for letting me interview you and for opening my mind to new things. I gotta know, what's one of your flavors of nerd? How does it show up in your life? If you're open to sharing about it and possibly being featured on the podcast, send me an email at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to join the Here We Are online community by following Here We Are on our Facebook page and Instagram. If you're looking to go one step further and financially support what I'm doing with the podcast, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are, the podcast, and sign up for one of the many quirky support tiers. The patron bonuses will continue to shift as my concepts for this podcast shift. So... As of right now, you have access to the unedited video versions of our featured nerds in this season. So until next time, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.